Hey y'all, welcome to 457 SEO. It's been a minute, but we're back. This is the place for stories, observations, and information from Southeast Ohio. I'm Atish Baidya. I'm Susan Tevin. And I'm Allison Hunter. And Aaron's around, but he's just not around. You know what I mean? So there's that part. Today, we're talking about medical marijuana because it's finally up and running. There are dispensaries in um, open and mostly in Northeastern Ohio right now, but their licenses have been approved. We've got testing facilities here, and we've got some growing facilities, one in Meigs County, which is why we're talking to Randy Smith, who's a county commissioner from Meigs County. He's also, just this year, he was put on the board of directors for the County Commissioners Association of Ohio, and he has actually maintained approval of medical marijuana. He thinks it's good for opportunities for jobs in the county where they have a lot of, they were a coal mining town, they have a lot of opportunities that they lost, and now they want to get those opportunities back. And Randy thinks medical marijuana is perfectly fine to figure that out. And he thinks the potential revenue that could be a part of that is a big deal. And in terms of how much money we're talking about, Ohio's medical marijuana control program reported sales for the program from mid-January of this year to March 10th. That's 245 pounds of medical marijuana that were sold for a total sales of more than $1.8 million in the entire state. Who's profiting from all of this investment and all this money coming in? Who's going to benefit from this industry? And we actually, Allison, you talked to a reporter who's been studying this and looking at this all across the country. She writes with Hemp Industry Daily, and I asked Kristen about the possible job opportunities. And yes, I also did ask whether medical marijuana is a gateway for recreational legalization. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Kristen Nichols. I'm with Hemp Industry Daily. We are a B2B trade publication. We write for um, people who grow hemp, uh, process hemp, and sell it. Um, and my background, I was a agriculture reporter for many, many years. Um, I came to Colorado around the time that this new medical marijuana industry started popping up. Uh, Colorado doesn't uh, grow a lot of other uh, row crops, and so it really interested me, like this new crop. I do consider it agriculture, so I kind of got into it that way. So I have covered this marijuana industry uh, as it is for um, about 10 years now, and uh, uh, they say that one year in cannabis is like a dog year, so I feel like I've been doing this forever. Um, um, it's a very interesting crop to cover, so now I, I'm on the hemp side. Um, but I've uh, been following kind of um, marijuana legalization as it marches across the country, starting with medical markets and some flipping rec. Now uh, they're talking, of course, about um, legalizing marijuana at the federal level and uh, also moving really far ahead on hemp. So this whole sector is just fascinating to watch, and I really enjoy digging into kind of the policy side of how it changes communities. As you know, Ohio is new to the medical marijuana game, and we're trying to figure out or get an understanding as a rural region what we might expect as this industry grows in our state. What trends, if any, have you witnessed in your coverage? Wherever marijuana uh, starts becoming legal, it's different in every place, but it's also exactly the same in every place. In many ways, Ohio is 
going through a lot of what other states went through. There are it's hard to regulate because there's uh, multiple uh, ideas to juggle here. Do you want to legalize this a drug to end the black market? Do you want to uh, make new medicine for sick people, or do you are you looking for kind of a, a new industry to bring jobs, to bring new tax revenue? Those things don't always go together, and so it can be t- tricky to try to figure out what where uh, to fall to. Um, get money from this new plant, um, but not like, uh, uh, you know, it's not going to pave the streets with gold and solve all your problems. And you certainly want to make sure you're um, addressing maybe some downsides of like, are there going to be problems with increased car accidents or are there going to be um, fears that everybody's going to, you know, start showing up to work or school uh, stoned. So how do you kind of uh, navigate all these different ideas um, to having a policy that works for everybody? We as a country, I would say, have learned a lot from what we went through um, almost 100 years ago, banning alcohol through prohibition and then allowing it again. Um, so we're, we've learned a lot there, but we're also going through a lot of the same things of what role should a community play? Should they be able to say, we don't want this here? Should a community um, embrace it as a tax revenue? Should a community um, consider it a, a potential problem or, or, or an opportunity maybe to talk about something that people there are already using but not talking about? That happens a lot of places. Um, so it, definitely in rural communities, you see a lot of hesitancy uh, about this industry, um, just like anything else that's new. Um, and I wouldn't say that there is a universal response. It's not to say that small towns start out saying, oh, we don't want this here, and then they all change their minds. But certainly you do see a change. I have seen a change in rural communities seeing, okay, maybe we don't want stores here or dispensaries or collectives or um, kind of drive-through or or pot clubs or that kind of thing. We don't want to see billboards for pot here, but maybe we're okay with um, having a manufacturing, new manufacturing plant, or maybe we're interested in allowing farmers to grow this inside or outside, seeing this as a new revenue opportunity uh, for agriculture in our sector. So I think people are a lot more um, open-minded in terms of looking at There's not an all-or-nothing answer here uh, for a new community. One thing that interests me about Southeast Ohio that I think um, it's a lot like, in some ways, California. As your viewers probably know, or as your listeners probably know, um, there is a long history of illicit cannabis production in Appalachia in your area. Um, You guys border uh, Kentucky, which is kind of a hemp cradle. It was before hemp was illegal, and now they're really um, growing a whole lot of hemp. Appalachia has always been a major contributor of marijuana to the illicit market. Uh, So you've got a lot of people um, who are kind of in the the woods there (laughs) making money, have been making money for years, decades, sometimes generations in the illicit cannabis market. They're going to be real interested in how they're affected. For example, uh, right now in the state of California, you think of California as sort of the original original cannabis pioneer, um, but there's a lot of uh, pushback because there's a lot of folks uh, in um, Humboldt County, California, in kind of the agricultural areas of California, where their families have been growing and selling cannabis for a long, long time successfully in the black market aren't real happy about some new competition, aren't real happy about 
signing up to pay taxes for the first time. So one thing for uh, I think uh, you're going to see uh, happening uh, in Ohio is how the black market um, it responds to this. Do people maybe still buy cannabis from the friends and neighbors they've been buying it from for years? Do people choose to come out of the black market and those, you know, seeing what prices could be, how they're different? Um, and whether the cannabis producers that have been in your area for a long, long time, whether they can like to participate in this new industry or whether you see kind of folks from out of state come in to try to start this stuff. So there's going to be a, a lot of really interesting discussions, I think, around um, community centers and even like uh, in, in farm groups or with uh, um, even uh, you know at churches about how this is going to play in, in a community. And there's not one right answer. Do any communities come to mind that have found productive ways to embrace the changes that come with legalization? Denver, uh, of course, is a, has a big thriving cannabis market. Um, and there was a suburb that uh, originally was, uh, you know, no way, no how. That's, that's, a, that's a big city stuff. We, want, we don't want that stuff here. Um, then saw some tax revenue <laughs> results uh, from what people are getting in Denver and realizing a lot of those are the people that live here driving into Denver to buy that stuff, leaving their taxes there and coming back home. So you have seen some re revised um, approaches, I think, from suburban communities that see our folks are leaving the, our town and spending money elsewhere and coming back. Again, another thing you're seeing, um, I think, for, in, in smaller communities that I would say is a real success, um, I would like to point to there's a town in southern Colorado called Pueblo um, where they banned cannabis sales for a long time after the rest of the state did it, and they didn't want any part of it, and then they they figured, oh, wait a second, um, we don't have to allow the sales here. We don't have to allow clubs and parties and that kind of thing, but we have a bunch of empty steel mills, this town did, that maybe these could be uh, cheaper places for people to produce this stuff, and then they could truck it back up to Denver. Um, so they have started extending tax credits and tax incentives, the kinds of things you see for more traditional manufacturing, where this town says, you know what, we are a traditional manufacturing hub uh, for other products. This is just one more product. Let's be a traditional manufacturing hub for cannabis products. And they're seeing tremendous job growth, although, again, does not solve every problem, does not, is not the solution to the woes of American manufacturing, certainly not the solution to the woes of American agriculture. Um, but there have been communities, I would say, in very rural areas all across the Mountain West um, where you saw a lot of resistance originally to the idea of cannabis production and then farmers, ranchers, and um, small-town manufacturers really changing their tune. Um, but, you know, I think it's very much an emerging experiment everywhere. One of the ideas about legalization is that it offers another revenue stream for state governments, right? But have you seen instances where the fees and taxes associated with getting into the industry have actually been a deterrent? Sure. I think uh, Ohio's problem is actually a very common one in every market, and it would be wrong to say that anybody has figured this one out. Again, you have kind of contravailing um, impulses here. On the one hand, uh, there's an interest in government, again, to heavily regulate, make sure that like, you're not just letting old drug dealers now start profiting. You want to have like background checks and really uh, high fees and 
to really pay for the enforcement here. On the other hand, um, you don't want to let leave people in the black market where you lose all those dollars and you have the same problems you had with marijuana before when it was all illegal. Um, so there is there are definitely different opinions about how to tax this. There's a lot of different analysts. No one really has figured out the right solution. What is interesting so far um, in Ohio, just in the first week or so, you're seeing right now in Ohio, um, medical cannabis selling for $480 an ounce. That is well in excess of what you could get mar- marijuana for on the black market. Um, that is, you know, probably four to five times what it's selling for in more mature markets like Oregon or Colorado. However, it's easy to say, oh my goodness, this was such a failure. We taxed it too heavily. It's all in the black market. The great thing about uh, marijuana is you can change the taxes and that markets do settle down. So, for example, when um, uh, marijuana first became legal in Colorado, people were paying $300 an ounce. Today, those same consumers are paying $70 an ounce. So it's easy to say that something has failed. You want to get the first month of tax revenue. You want to get the first year of tax revenue and say, this was great, this was bad, it failed. Um, but really, uh, things do shake out uh, over time, and what what is happening right now might not be what your market looks like six months from now, six years from now. Um, kind of, a, it, you really just do have to take a very holistic approach to looking at w- what are the opportunities and what are the downsides for your community. All right. Okay. Now, as more states approve marijuana's use in one way or the other, the question still remains, right? What's the federal government's stance? Any hint as to what's going to happen on that level? It's a million-dollar question. I, I don't want to be too lectury or college professory here, but um, to back up, okay, so when marijuana was made illegal, it was popular, though, with the kids in the 60s and 70s, and you had some marijuana reformers, um, and normal and other kinds of groups um, in Washington trying to get Congress to take this out of the Controlled Substances Act, to kind of right when that, this was all passed, right in the 70s, really trying to say, well, this, this plant, you know, this is God's green herb, those, the old hippies, basically, and no one took them seriously. No one would even meet with them. They were just a joke um, all through the 80s and the Just Say No era. Those kinds of reformers were just a joke. And basically where the cannabis community decided in the 90s was, you know what, we're getting nowhere. Let's start at the local and state level and see if we can make any progress there. Like in a lot of ways, it's, a, it's an exercise in federalism. Although the federal government makes the rules, it is up to, in many ways, states, counties, local law enforcement to enforce those rules. And the federal government's options are limited in terms of telling people what they have to prioritize. So um, these marijuana reformers, starting in the 90s, starting in California, um, started pushing state and local measures to push up against um, federal rules on on drugs, realizing that um, eventually these problems in this industry are are really enormous because it's federally illegal. So if you are in this business, let's say you're a new um, medical marijuana entrepreneur um, in Ohio, um, you still might have difficulty accessing uh, banking services or accessing, if you have a legal dispute, you can't take it to court. uh, you, you risk going to jail uh, for for doing what you're doing, even if Ohio says it's okay. Even if uh, doctors in your area 
say that there's a lot of promise to what you're doing. Um, there's a lot of risk and a lot of problems with not being legal federally. So what you're seeing all over the country are increasing numbers of marijuana entrepreneurs and patients, frankly, who who would like to maybe I'd like to I'd like to use medical marijuana, but I'd rather get it from my pharmacy. I don't feel comfortable going into a stinky dispensary. I don't feel comfortable, you know, asking my son, does he have a drug dealer? You know, I'd rather go to my community neighborhood drugstore that are really pushing Congress to, okay, guys, make this legal federally so that this can look more like other pharmaceuticals or look more like other consumer packaged goods, look more like tobacco or alcohol or something that is legal, but limited. We don't, people don't think generally that there should be no rules about cannabis, but people think it should be the same state to state to state. Ohio shouldn't be different than Kentucky, shouldn't be different than Indiana. It should all kind of look the same. All right. Now, maybe here's another million-dollar question. Is medical marijuana the gateway to recreational legalization? I think you have to say yes. The advocates for medical marijuana over and over again say, this is not just cover that we're heading to a recreational market. This is not what we're after here. This is about sick people. This is about getting medicine to the people, a natural alternative to big pharma. And I'm not accusing them of being disingenuous. However, there has not been anywhere a medical market where there was not a push or at least talk of expanding that access to more people until to to it gets to the point where, you know, anybody um, uh, could access this, or maybe just adults, you know, uh, that folks are, folks are broadly using this. And I think sometimes in many markets, what you see, um, even from people who are very opposed to medical marijuana, is this idea of, you know, this is all kind of phony baloney macaroni. We think people are either exaggerating these illnesses or you're seeing, for example, you know, all of a sudden there's this new way, whatever uh, they decide it can be used to treat, all of a sudden everybody has glaucoma and or everybody has uh, the disease that they say that this treats. So uh, this looks like uh, kind of uh, manure to us, so let's just uh, make it recreational and get more money out of it. One of the problems, I would say, with medical marijuana is that if you want to treat something like a medicine, Medicines aren't really taxed much. Um, you don't pay a whole lot of tax on a lot of pharmaceuticals you buy. It's kind of a, a, a distasteful idea to think you should, you know, go tax your cough medicine 20, 30%, but the people are okay with, you know, taxing beer and wine very heavily um, or paying buy the drink taxes where you wouldn't like pay a tax, you know, buy every dose of um, Benadryl you take. So um, there's kind of countervailing ideas there, uh, but I do think it is fair to say that after medical markets are established, you see either new patient groups that are left out of the medical market as it's written who want more access to the plant. You also see kind of pushback from even uh, mar- marijuana critics and even physicians to say, you know, this isn't how other medicine is treated. Let's stop pretending it's medicine. Let's treat it like a recreational substance, because frankly, that's how most people use it. Okay, turning to hemp for a moment. The 2018 Farm Bill says it's now okay to grow hemp. That's my oversimplification of the Farm Bill. Kentucky has made moves. West Virginia has made moves. Ohio has yet to address the hemp issue. But now that it is an agricultural opportunity, what might this mean? I would say the Farm Bill, the 2018 Farm Bill, was absolutely seismic 
for the entire cannabis industry. Um, you mentioned um, Kentucky. I always say if you want to know why hemp was included in the Farm Bill, why are we legalizing hemp? It's three words. It's tobacco state Republicans. <laughs> producer, agriculture producers looking for a hedge against a market that has gone away. Basically, the tobacco industry has almost vanished from the United States. Um, uh, but uh, hemp and marijuana grow well where tobacco grows well. It's where you places, have places with a climate suited to the plant, the mid-Atlantic area, kind of up through uh, Kentucky and even into Ohio, um, Tobacco grows well. Cannabis grows well. So this is an opportunity to replace um, maybe a crop that has gone away. There's something else going on that is really attractive to agricultural interests, and that is huge uncertainty uh, and unsettlement in traditional commodity crops. Um, it's uh, easy to forget, but American farmers in many places are sitting on billions with a B of soybeans. We have almost historic low commodity prices for corn and wheat and some other things that folks maybe have been growing for a long time. So farmers are looking for a higher profit alternative. Right now, um, even though hemp is very new, it's, it's offering farmers a higher per acre return. Now, it's not, you know, perfect because it's a new crop and a lot of, there's a lot to learn. A lot of farmers have quite frankly lost a lot of money so far putting hemp in the ground and it either doesn't come up, there's not good seed or uh, that the markets aren't there yet. So it's still dicey, um, but right now I think you're seeing in agriculture a big embrace of finding a new crop. There was recently a survey done by Farm Journal, which is kind of a trade publication um, for traditional agriculture producers, um, did a survey of farmers, would you grow hemp? And the, respondent, the people that responded to the survey, I mean, their average age was 50-plus. I mean, these are older farmers, and they said overwhelmingly, not only would I grow hemp, I would grow marijuana. I know how to grow this stuff. Uh, I think I should. Why not? Okay, every, we all know that uh, uh, marijuana is kind of uh, out of the bag here. Why should it be going to these uh, black market criminals and hippies? We know how to grow stuff. We can grow it bigger, better, cleaner than they can. Um, so you're seeing real market embrace, I think, from members of Congress from both parties of hemp. The attractive thing about hemp, of course, is that it doesn't have high levels of THC, so it really can't intoxicate you. I think uh, where the, the struggles are is that now that it's federally legal, um, it's still not certain how it's going to be regulated. This is a brand new thing for a lot of folks. Um, for example, the plant hemp and marijuana, they look the same, they smell the same. So uh, for uh, the United States Department of Agriculture now has to come up with a way that they're supposed to uh, make sure that hemp farmers are not growing marijuana. They don't have any money to do it. So it, this is going to be a big lift. It's really, frankly, going to take years. But one thing that is also such an exciting opportunity coming from the Farm Bill that is going to really overhaul the whole cannabis space is right now, um, if you are growing hemp or marijuana, you have no access to things like crop insurance or the kind of um, agronomic work that a lot of state universities, uh, land-grant universities and agriculture extension agencies do. Um, so now they have opportunity to access that kind of stuff, to get certified seeds, to get to find out what kind of pests um, and weed pressure they need to fight. Um, for as long as something is not a legal crop, you, you can't use any um, pesticides or fertilizer on it legally. So uh, there's going to be a lot of our, it's going to start looking more like a regular crop. 
And what happens to hemp, I think, will look a lot like what eventually happens to marijuana if marijuana ever becomes legal. Okay. Now, this question is for the entrepreneurs, but I'm going to make it personal for you. If you were trying to get into the industry to be prosperous, what would you be doing? Yeah. I always say um, the best way to get rich in weed is to set up shop telling other people how to get rich in weed. So there's a real thriving industry right now. I don't think I'd uh, touch the plant. You take When you touch the plant, like you grow marijuana or sell marijuana, you do still take on a lot of risk, a lot of market uncertainty. So folks, what I'm interested in, a lot of folks are um, starting businesses, what we call ancillary businesses. So I kind of am in the marijuana economy, but I don't touch this plant. I do things like I sell lighting or I sell water filtration systems. I sell seeds. I sell, um, you know, I do what, put workshops on or write books about how to produce this plant. So if this whole marijuana experiment goes sideways, I have, you know, I'm not going to jail. <laughs> and um, I have maybe a business model that keeps for other things. So at, for me personally, I'm interested in kind of, writing or um, kind of discussions about hemp that maybe things people haven't talked about before. Um, I, I do like a comical kind of business opportunity that I wish more people were talking about. I am a middle-aged woman, and uh, there was a brief uh, ad campaign by a producer um, in Colorado that was talking about marijuana, saying um, – no calories, no hangover, no waiting in line for the bathroom. This was an ad campaign aimed at middle-aged women. And, and I tell you, like, I just, I really do think we could see a, you know, this is the, the zero-calorie alternative to wine. This is like a glass of wine with zero calories and won't keep you up at night and won't keep you up going to the bathroom. Okay. In school, we called that smoking a drink. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. No calories, no hangover, no bathroom. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see as this gets normalized, I guess. Um, just this week, uh, Martha Stewart announced she was going to join a Canadian marijuana producer to start a CBD line for pets. So I think we're going to see it looking like any other business. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to watch. Thank you so much, Kristen Nichols, for joining us and sharing your insights. Uh, this conversation has been illuminating, at least for me. Um, I do appreciate your time and energy. Thanks a lot. I had a great time. Thanks so much for having me. Coming up. I, I could take you to farms in Meigs County that there are farmers that would be chomping at the bit at the opportunity. Exactly. Just to, to put something back in the ground that's Exa- going to support their families or, or um, leave a legacy of a family farm behind instead of just empty fields that haven't grown anything in years. Welcome back to the 457 SEO. We're here talking to Meg's County Commissioner Randy Smith. Hi, Randy. Hi. Welcome back because we've had you on Thanks the show for before. Me back. And now you're on the board of directors for the County Commissioners Association of Ohio. Yes. As of the beginning of the year, right? It's it's definitely different. Uh, it's I, I've sat on a couple of committees up there uh, since taking office in 2013, and this this is more the governance of the whole association. So it's a little bit different than the other committees, but. Um, Coming from a small county is a perfect place to be. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these folks sitting around the table, um, they're so used to bouncing ideas and hearing issues from metro counties, they have no idea when you start talking about 
real issues that occur at a dog shelter or real issues that occur at a 911 center, what we're talking about when we when we say we have an issue. So it's uh, the perfect place for somebody in a small county to be. I know the president of uh, the commission is from Shelby County mm-hmm. or another rural county. So yes. is it are you seeing a lot of representation from rural counties? Yeah, it's about um, it's probably as close to 50-50 as it can be. Yeah. Small counties are an unusual animal because you can't have a city in a small county and then the population's all stuck right there in a metro area, but I want to think as far as the rural area goes, there's um, well what we would define as that probably 13 or 14 counties represented on that board of 35 so it's uh, it's a pretty good split cool but it's the population that that makes it interesting yeah uh, when you're from the southern end of the state and you represent a small county on top of that then you're talking a total appalachian view on on the issues that this you know the issues are dealing with at the state house and how it's actually impacting us down here so yeah. right a lot of what we've been talking about is medical marijuana mm-hmm. and Meg's County in January, sorry, in November 2017, we had medical marijuana growing operation yes. in Meg's County. I know that the County Commissioners Association of Ohio hasn't taken a stance. I talked to the president, Julie Amen, uh-huh. about that because it's such a divisive issue. So we've talked about it before. Where do you stand on it now that we're looking at um, a year or two years since we've started talking about medical marijuana, especially in Meg's County? I definitely haven't changed my personal views uh, on it so much. A little disappointed in in the outcome of the um, the way the licensing happened. Uh, really, we kind of expected that the state would go back a little bit when they d- determined that one of the either one of the folks on the board that were selecting the applications was a convicted felon, and instead of scratching all of the licensing and starting over and reawarding the the permits they just move forward with the selections that have been made and our uh, racing application did so well and scored so high that would have been you know a tremendous job creator for us and instead we got stuck with a small grow facility which I think employs like 10 people so um, locally the impact has been very anticlimactic it's it's just not what we had hoped it would be and I don't know moving forward with what they expect. Is there going to be a revamp of that and, and allow new applications to come in? Because uh, the location is still there in Racine and it'll be perfect for it. And what's your take on the county, other county commissioners and their feelings on it, particularly the ones from rural counties? Interestingly, I've not heard anybody really uh, that vocal against the idea of having them in their counties, um, at least in our area. And I think particularly it's because of the, the, um, the brand new venue for job creation. That's, uh, you know, we've we depended on coal mines for so long in Meigs County. And I know we weren't the only ones. A lot of counties were so dependent on coal-fired uh, fire, uh, coal-fired power plants, which those things are disappearing um, quickly. So all these big job creators that we did have are no longer there. So where else do you tap from? It's got to be a place that you didn't have it from before. It's either going to be technology or it's going to be something brand new like this. So I, I I don't know if it's the stigma of supporting that keeps them quiet. But it's uh, it's also keeping a lot of them quiet. I think, really, as far as speaking out about it negatively, negatively as well, because I we haven't heard that. I mean, we haven't heard people say, "Don't put one here." But they won't necessarily advocate for it. Yeah, it, I, and really, it's 
Because there are many clustered in, well, dispensaries in, in like northern Ohio, like northeastern. Mm-hmm. They seem to kind of glab on to and then kind of different places where some of the cultivators, there's a Lawrence County got a, a large operation. Yeah, I think that, that might have been the one that we were hoping on that would go in racing. Okay. Um, I'm almost sure because it was a fairly close county to right. us. Right, it was the Lawrence County that got a large cultivator um, license, and then for processor was uh, in Jackson County. The president of the Mr. Smoke, mm-hmm. the commission, Amen. yeah, like she's anti medical marijuana. I okay. can say what she said sure. was that um, people that are desperate to find. Um, solutions to their pain will grasp at straws to find any solution to the problem. She doesn't feel like it's something that should be used to stimulate the economy because we ha- already have the opioid epidemic. We don't need another thing to add to the drug problem, essentially. I, I have to say that's probably a sentiments of a lot of people that um, maybe stand in opposition to it right now. And uh, in a conversation I was having with a, a pastor friend of mine, we were talking about um, for one, the when I hear opiate epidemic, it just it almost makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up because it's because it becomes such a um, political buzzword to say opiate epidemic. There's not it's not an opiate epidemic; it's a drug crisis that's existed forever. And when we say opiate epidemic, okay, let's talk about the most widely abused drug is alcohol, still alcohol, and will probably forever be alcohol. So we'll, we'll, we, this isolating one drug over the other is insane. I mean, we're, we're seeing an upswing in Meigs County on meth labs. We thought were practically eradicated, but people are, are now going to meth to try to get off of heroin. Um, so it's, it's a drug problem. There's a, there's a, there's a, it's a much bigger thing than just picking the drug. How do you... Being angry at that drug. Be, let's be angry at the drug. Um, or angry at the people who are addicted right. to the drug, and I, and I, but I, I do appreciate people's take on that or whether their, their knee-jerk reaction to it because in the conversation I was having with my friend, the reason why guys like me when I was growing up that the idea of smoking marijuana, I thought I would die. I thought I'd die if I'd even be in the room with it because the Reagan administration did a pretty good job with just say no. Nancy Reagan had us all terrified. This is your brain on the, drugs. Brain on drugs. The, yeah, the, yes. They're too young. They don't know that. Yeah, those, um, I've seen those, it on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those, those raging hot skillets. iron skillets and right, here comes egg. an egg. So, and you got to think. Which I mean, drug? Yeah, yes. This is your brain on drugs. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm done. No, right. no more drugs. It, for, so it's not just an opiate epidemic. It's a, it's a, it's a. There's a family dynamic that needs addressed. There's a, it's an addiction right. problem and and whatever. Mask the pain problem. Right. right. But how can I say medical marijuana bad, um, prescription painkillers good, or you know I, I told my friend we were talking about the idea of the just say no generation and what's different from us than a lot of people today. And I can't, how can I conscious and good conscience stand against medical marijuana if I go to the pharmacy or to go to, um, go to a gas station and buy Imodium AD? Imodium AD is derived from, from opium. And it has a component in it that is, is hmm. from the same thing they're making heroin out of. I'm okay with doing that because there's no stigma attached to mm-hmm. anti-diuretic. Mm-hmm. It's, 
it's the needle and the dirty and the, and the, right. the bad side of it, or it's the guy that's buying the pills to crush them and snort them. And um, I've been a chronic pain patient for about 15 years. I have mm-hmm. a, um, bad genes, mm-hmm. terrible back. And there are days that I have been in so much agony that if a doctor told me, here, take this, this will make you feel better, this won't, it won't hurt anymore, I'd have done it in a second. I'd done it in a second. So it's, and it's a challenge for me with a uh, past in law enforcement and as a minister to, to not be so scared of medical marijuana as some people seem to be. But I don't, if I can't go to my doctor and have him load me up with 600 Vicodins, <laughs> to go out and either abuse or sell for profit. And there might be dirty doctors out there that can still do that stuff. Then I shouldn't have the fear that I could go to a doctor and get a pound of marijuana and go home and smoke it. Right. You know, right. uh, my stepfather is facing a terrible cancer diagnosis. And I asked my mother the other day, I'm like, has he talked to his doctor about medical marijuana? Mm-hmm. If nothing else, for the you can't get high off this stuff. Right. The THC's bred out of it. So... Mm-hmm. What are we afraid of? Mm-hmm. I mean, Vicodin's from a flower. Right. Why can't cannabis oil be from a green yeah. weed that grows in the woods? Five years ago, and my uh, well, five and a half years ago, and my mom had a aggressive battling an aggressive cancer, and just before she was released from the hospital with the initial diagnosis and the pharmacist, the hospital pharmacist came in and this was in the state of Delaware. And pharmacist said, well, you're going to take this for, because she was having chemo, you're going to take this for the nausea and then this for the, the, you know, this pill for that. And you got to take this for that. And I said, or some marijuana. And she said, and the pharmacist said, well, yeah, but you didn't hear that from me. And I thought, Mm -hmm. that's crap. Yeah, it's crap. It is. There's, yeah, there's no other way to define that. Yeah. So um, when my mom had issues with eating and didn't want to eat and I had asked a friend for edible lollipops, I was like, she's not going to smoke, you know. (laughs) um, It's like, mom, here's some lollipops just because you got to eat that whole thing. And it was helpful. It's like everything else. It's overregulated. There's a regulation in place that if we're not confident in the regulations that we put on it, then why do we make it? Then why do it at all? But I'm curious as to why folks aren't fighting for something that, you know, an agricultural opportunity for, especially in rural counties where there are farmers. There's people who know how to grow things and know how to take care of um, plants and land and, and want the work. Well, I think part of that at least from where I sit, um, part of that has been dealing with a, a, what well, we have struggled greatly with the Kasich administration uh, across the state, and I, I'm, I'm vocal about that because I just don't I don't care very often who I upset when I'm telling the truth. But so now uh, he's out of office. We have a brand new governor with a whole different outlook and and um, set of priorities that he's focused on. And not a lot of new lawmakers that are the same mindset, the brand new. It's almost like a clean slate taking place, which I'm excited about because it gives us a chance to have a voice where we didn't necessarily have one. So a lot of what's going on right now is counties, I think, are scrambling to figure out how do we prioritize cleaning up some leftover messes that we have really been dealt a, a crappy hand over through the Kasich administration. So I would, I mean, I would think that there is an agricultural committee within the um, Commissioner's Association and I would think that at some point that would become a priority or at least become more to the top of the list of things that they want to advocate for. But right now, every seems like every committee is focused on recovering from the managed care sales tax loss that we 
uh, we lost last year, and some other things that uh, just through eight years of that administration just left local government in shambles. So it's hard to, to pick up a flag and, and carry it for something brand new when there's so many things that have to be fixed. We'll continue to advocate for it in Meigs County, especially if given the opportunity to do it again. Uh, one of those big facilities would be a real game changer for us. If you get a big facility and advocating for it, it's sort of almost like this reversal of, um, you know, there's a, a stigma associated with marijuana and, a, and, and Meigs County Gold has a reputation. Oh, yeah. In the past, it's been sort of in this negative light, but now with medical marijuana, there's an opportunity to turn that stigma into an economic stimulus, possibly, sure. for the county. When you talk about advocating for it, what does that really look like? Because it is so brand new, that's really our only choice is to play it by ear. But it, and we wouldn't, I don't think we would have a reason to approach it as a um, advocating for the sake of marijuana or advocating for the sake of it's now legal as it would be advocating for the economic development that this new piece of um, of our economy in the state will bring. You know, there are a lot of people even in our county today that are still aggravated as to why uh, Meigs County wasn't given any, any consideration for um, a gaming casino, the setting on along the river. You mm -hmm. know, so it, cause it seems like when those opportunities do come up, and they do, and there's a, there's a stigma attached to gambling, so you have people that'll fight that and you have people that'll that'll support it. The reality of it is that there's going to be economic development and growth come from it where just where is it going to go? Right. Um, you go to Mississippi and places like that, the, the casinos are, are all riverboats and they just stay set right along the river. We have a beautiful pool of the Ohio River right outside our courthouse window. That would be a nice, unique way on the gambling because they're all big buildings sure. in Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, sure. but a nice riverboat would, would... I had a friend that actually drew a picture of, of a riverboat, riverboat casino and what that would look like sitting out docked in Pomeroy. And it, you're right, it's exactly the old Western-style sternwheeler sitting mm -hmm. there as a riverboat. So we would, I mean, I think that the advocacy part would be more, it would be more of an economic development advocacy than it would be, you know, we support marijuana in Meigs County because that... That will never go away if we, the the stigma of the Meigs County gold or that, that type of attitude will never go away if it just becomes about supporting right. legalized marijuana. It's it, Was that a stigma? I mean, was I'm not from Meigs County, but close to 16 years ago, I was in Amsterdam sitting in a coffee house and on the menu had stuff from here, there, and it said Meigs County. And I was like, in Meigs County, Ohio, and it may have said gold, but I... I recognize, like, oh, my gosh, here it really is. And that, for me, was, like, there's notoriety there in a place where it's legal and then it feels okay and all of mm -hmm. that. But was that a, something growing up or, or something that was a negative? Oh, absolutely. Really? I mean, my, my, uh, my mother's from California and moved to Columbus at some point during her grade school, middle school years. And then a so, uh, sophomore year in high school moved from Columbus to Meigs County. Well, they had family here, so she, before they moved, would visit, come to Pomeroy, visit, go back to home. And it was nothing for her to go back to Columbus as a sophomore in high school uh, in the 70s. And people expect that she had brought some Megas County gold back to Columbus wow. with her. Um, it, was, it was nothing when I was uh, first in law enforcement that you would tell people, if you're going to the Columbus Zoo, if you're going to Kings Island, if you're going to a place with a big parking lot, a lot of people lock your cars because they see the Meigs County tag and it was almost inevitable you were going to come back to your car with busted windows 
and and you would be the only one in a row of 100 cars with missing windows. And the of course, the idea would be they were in there looking for marijuana because wow. your tags were Meigs County. Hmm. Wow. There's an unfortunate <laughs> song about Meigs County. But here is an opportunity to kind of flip it back into an actual money-making, legal, sure. and empowering opportunity. When you're in our position, when, when you have this... Um, kind of a pseudo-parent that is the, the state legislature that's making your rules and it's making your laws. It's uh, it's a lot easier to sit down there and vote or, or pen a bill and send it down the river with no money attached to it, expecting local governments to figure out a way to enforce it. So regardless if you support it or not, if you got the money to do it or not, if it's law, you've got to implement it or figure out a way to do it. And um, the the things that the counties have been hit with over the last uh, several years, the state is going to have to realize what they're doing to generate revenue. If they're not sending that along with these bills or sending it along with the mandates, counties will just slowly dry up, mm-hmm. and it, you won't you won't have the ability locally to invest local money locally because you're using that to run basic uh, services that you have to provide your people. So you won't have local funding to help attract businesses with or, or use your own local money to help rebuild your infrastructure. It won't be there because you'll be using it for law enforcement and emergency services, and that's about all you'll be able to do. Kentucky has found a way to make it okay, and West Virginia has found a way, but hemp growing is another, as of right now, the Ohio legislature hasn't made a decision on legalizing the growth of hemp and again another agricultural opportunity mm-hmm. for a state that agriculture is and or was its thing what's that about because the farm bill in 2018 passed in december of 2018 made it okay i, I could take you to farms in meg's county that there are farmers that would be chomping at the bit at the opportunity exactly just to, to put something back in the ground that's Exa- going to support their families or, or um, leave a legacy of a family farm behind instead of just empty fields that haven't grown anything in years. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I I could sit here and, and support the growth of, of hemp manufacturing, hemp for manufacturing the same way as I, I did with the medical marijuana because it just doesn't make any sense not to. If it's, um, I figured out a way to regulate medical marijuana, if you have to have regulators and a governing board and permits and fees and all these things associated with it, then give a farmer an opportunity to make an investment. I can't answer that question as to why why that's stuck. That seems like a no-brainer. Do you feel as though there is too much regulation, whether we're talking about hemp or medical marijuana? Do you think there's too much regulation? Oh, do you think, think all of this is necessary? I think there's too much regulation on just about everything. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you're looking for a way to create revenue, so you're going to regulate something to death just so you can have a revenue source through permits and fees, fine, then say, we're over-regulating this, whatever it is, because we're going to use this to generate money. If you want to do this, fine, but we're going to make it um, uh, financially difficult. So you've got to really be willing to make the investment or you're just not going to make it. Then at least be honest with people. That's why you're doing it. But when you start slapping hundreds of thousands of regulations on one thing just to try to give it a warm and fuzzy feeling, hmm. that's insane. Does that over-regulation for rural counties with limited um, revenues and folks with that doesn't have a lot of economic prosperity to sort of invest in that or to pay those upfront costs. Does that sort of regulation like stifle? Absolutely, it does. 
the opportunities for folks? I mean, we had uh, we have a, a coal mine that still produces coal in the county. It's in Racine, right outside the village. And um, I think and since I've been in office, it's changed hands twice, you know, with the hope that deregulation was going to occur this time and they were going to roll back some of the permitting requirements and whatever. And it's still there. It still has, I've heard, upwards of 30 years worth of coal there that um, could easily employ 100 people who would be eager to go to work. But if the permitting requirements and the fees associated with that are so high, for whatever the reasons, and I have no idea what they are or you know uh, how much they are, I just know it's, it seems to have been very cost prohibitive for a lot of investors to be willing to roll dice and open it up. And uh, you know the same can happen. It can happen with anything. It can happen with anything that just feels unpopular at the time. But um, if something is not, let's say medical marijuana, for example, if it's not right, we just, it is not right, then it's not right. So if I say it's not right, but if you want it, you give me a million dollars and you can have it, but it's not right. So it's going to cost you. So what's the point of the regulation? Right. You know, it's either you're you're doing it because it's an issue of right or not right, um, or you're trying to squeeze as much money out of it as you possibly can with regulation. So yeah, it it, it cripples places like Max County because you've got if you're somebody that's going to make an investment of ten million dollars into some small shipping operation, and the the best road that you've got with a piece of property big enough for your project is a chip and sealed road. Or you can go to Franklin County, where most of the townships have paved roads. You're going to go where it's paved. Just because the guys in that particular township in Meigs County, they can't go out there and do what they want with the road. There's a requirements. There are things they have to do to make that road suitable before they can do it. Um, everything is regulated too hmm. much. Everything. <laughs> you know, our central question is always, what does Southeast Ohio need and how do we get it? And so... A chance. A chance. A fighting chance. That's really, that's what Southeast Ohio needs. There's there's too many good people in this part of the state. Um, and it's that's all we need. And, and everything everything is stacked up against us when it comes to actually having a fair footing and I, I had actually talked about that same issue with, um, well, then Attorney General DeWine when he was on a listening tour uh, during his campaign. And I, I had his ear, and uh, he he really seemed very interested in how I, I guess, how I presented it. Maybe he had never heard it presented that way. But it, in this area, you battle the population of the entire state with just about everything that you need to do uh, on the grant, grant level, funding level. Um, even your elected official salaries. Everything is based around population. So if Meigs County is putting in a, um, a grant application for some funding, uh, as an example, when, he, when uh, Mike was first attorney general after the um, tobacco lawsuit settlements, he created a fund that uh, counties could apply to to get grant money to tear down dilapidated houses which was a great idea because it, it kept a lot of people from you know, going into abandoned homes using those for mm-hmm. drug dens or whatever. Um, of course, they want to know what your population is on every application that goes out there. So Megs applies, and we got enough money out of the first round to tear down two houses. So it was less than $40,000. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're seeing articles pop up all over the state where Cuyahoga County is returning tens of millions of dollars of the same grant money because they couldn't get it spent fast enough. 
and they just sent it back. So they decided to do a second round. So now we're thinking, well, okay, now here we get our, finally get the bigger scraps from the table. We got $8,000 a second round. Yikes. And, you know, with uh, community development block grant funding, uh, all these types of things that are out there that we can use, neighborhood revitalization, um, those types of things, you're, you're always in a competition with somebody and it's always based on population. Yeah. So it makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. It, it really so, doesn't. So you said you presented that to DeWine and what was your impression of? I, I walked away. Because he's I, from a rural, he's from Greene County? Yeah, he's from Greene County. Yeah. So when I, when I mentioned that, I said if we could just see some of the, um, the, the grant fundings that are out there like, like CDBG, the Community Development Block Grant Funding, and uh, some of the other stuff that the state will put out there. If you could just regionalize those those grants, we're okay to compete for the money, but let us compete with a county that's somewhat close. Similar, to us. right, right. Don't put us up against Cuyahoga; we'll never win. Never. And uh, and I mean, he was feverishly taking notes, and he was like, you know, there are a lot of things that that could be regionalized, grant funding wise. I mean, I walked away from it feeling like he, I mean, as close as you and I are, him writing notes genuinely mm-hmm. understood that as a as a concern for us. And not just us, but Athens. I mean, people think Athens is some big, huge metropolis. It's not. When you look right. at how, how big the state is right. and, and the pockets of population, Athens has to compete just right. like we do. Vinton County. Vinton's and, yeah. Yeah. So the smaller counties, like you said, on population-wise. So. I guess that's back to the medical marijuana thing. To me, if, if we're a whole state, if we're one state and not – 88 states packed within the boundaries of one state, then, and you want to see economic prosperity in your entire state, then why not Meigs County, for example, we have some of the, the best highways, state highways in the, in the state. Um, we are the first county that you come into if you're traveling on I-77, we're the first Ohio County you see when you cross the river. And it will take you from the river all the way up through the middle of the state. And that to me, if if we're part of that state, if if 33 is taking you from Meigs County right to Columbus, and we need um, economic development opportunities, then why wouldn't that put us to the top of the list to get a hundred job facility in Meigs County? Why would that go to Cleveland? Why would that go to a place where their sales tax can run their county government, and not say, okay, now we need some more development in Meigs County. Here's an opportunity for us to do that. Let's make sure they get one of the bigger permits. We'll send the the ten job creator facility to Cuyahoga County because they don't need that there. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's what I what I think of when I think of the whole, look at the whole state. You know, just keep investing into the same. If if all your money is investing in the same area nonstop, then you're eventually going to starve out the other areas. There's, right. And the, but you're still expected to follow through with all those to mandates. run the same race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's. Um, I don't know why anybody would want my job. <laughs> why do you want your job? <laughs> Is that a serious question? Go ahead. <laughs> because there's a there's a chance. I mean, we'll, we'll fight. We'll fight for the chance. I'm, I like the fight. So yeah, yeah, I remember that. All right, Randy Smith from Ace County. Thank you very much. My pleasure for coming in again. Um, we're always happy to have you. Thanks for having me again.
And that is it for this episode of 457 SEO. Catch us wherever you get your fine podcasts. Leave us a rating. <laughs> I don't do it hand things, but leave us a rating. Give us comments. We'd love to hear from you. But, you know, be kind. Be nice. Rewind. And uh, we'll talk to you later. And I'm Atish Paidia. I'm Susan Tebbin. And I'm Allison Hunter. See ya. Bye. <laughs> We've done this before. We swear. <laughs> <laughs>